Welcome to Absurd Archives, Episode 2, and second in our Weird Experiment series. I'm Laura CB, and our discussion today is going to be on remote control animals and why turkeys aren't that bright. Feel free to pour yourself a cup of coffee, get comfy, and hang tight. It's only going to get weirder from here. Welcome back. So I'd like to preface this story is going to get uh, really grim, really dark. Um, the whole preface of this actually started after the tragedies in World War II and the Holocaust. So not only with this experiment, but many psychologists, neuroscientists, you know, etc., in the U.S. and Europe actually tried to investigate the roots of violence and aggression. And some examples of that would be Stanley Milgram's electric shock experiment in 1965 and Philip Zimbardo's Stanford prison experiment. But today we're going to focus on a couple of these. Um, electricity was used to see if brain stimulation would actually make people peaceful, harmonious, and you know even fix temporal human behavior and mental problems. Like they really hoped that these conclusions would come to the world actually getting along and being peaceful. Now the scientist that we're going to start off with today is actually Dr. Jose Delgado who is from Spain. Uh, now as with most scientists, especially in the 60s, Delgado was not unfamiliar with working on animals. Uh, there was one case in particular, he also even worked on 25 human patients. But that's not why we're here. The bull experiment is why we're here. So, and the man had like a lot of stuff going on. Uh, he had like 500 articles, all this. But in his 1981 article, he explained that most bulls are actually bred to be docile and that they were specifically for meat production. But what Delgado focused on was the Spanish toros that were bred specifically to be strong, agile, fast, and even aggressive, like the running of the bulls in Madrid, those ones. And I'm not a native Spanish speaker, so I'm not really sure the difference between toros, bull, and then specific toros. I'm not really sure, but wanted to get that disclaimer out. Now, Dr. Delgado also said in this article in 1981 that he was given four bulls in Cordoba where the ranch was at that he did the experiment. Focused on two in particular. Uh, the names were Lucero and Caetano. Both of these bulls mentioned were about three years old and weighed 200 to 280 kilograms. And that roughly comes out to about 430 to 610 pounds. The experiment wasn't very long. It actually lasted three days with the help of his wife and a couple of ranch hands. Also some bullfighters as well. Now, understandably, this whole experiment was no easy feat because Toros are dangerous even to, you know, prize bullfighters, people who actually did this for a living dealing with these animals. It was a hard thing for them to do. So, understandably, they had to uh, put them under and they were shot with a tranquilizer gun that was doused with PCP. Now, a little side note for everybody that's listening. So, PCP was normal for tranquilizers back in the day 
uh, especially in veterinary care. It was before ketamine was used for, at least for the veterinary world. So this was not an uncommon practice. Um, so about 15 minutes after the dart hit the bull, it was safe to approach him. Uh, with some of the help of the ranch hands, Dr. Delgado put a two centimeter hole cut into the skull, and that's when the electrodes were inserted. They used dental cement to keep them in place so they wouldn't get pulled out or fall out, and then they would sew the bull back up, and the wire connectors were actually bandaged around the horns. So what makes this even more of a crazy, like, out there experiment is at that time in 1964 there was actually no published brain atlas for bovines so what that means essentially is that no one knew really like what part of the bull's brains went to what like where the fight-or-flight instinct was where the happy simulation point was they just didn't know and the fact that he had not one but two of these bulls at least that were up and about and walking around much less just acting like normal bulls but just being up was just miraculous and as i say before this isn't delgado's first time he actually worked with some reyes monkeys and with cats in a similar situation but for something that huge that large that aggressive it was definitely an eye-opener. Now, as for what happened during the experiment, uh, well, Caetano actually took it better, I think, than Lucero. He was surprised, quote-unquote, surprised by its own conduct, but not irritated. And under, under higher stimulation, he actually went in circles. Now, Lucero, however, Lucero is the one that I want to really get into because he was the famous bull. He was... The bull that like I said he had the bullfighters that were in there he had people that was trained to deal with these animals with him because god the man was mad but he wasn't psycho Lucero stopped mid-charge because Dr. Delgado pushed the button mid-charge this bull came out at the bullfighter and just stopped dead in its tracks now unfortunately once that whole simulation stopped and Delgado's thumb was away from the buttons, he returned furiously into full charge. And one of the times, actually, uh, Delgado uh, <laughs> even said that there was one time that the transmission circuit actually failed. So Lucero actually ran up to him and he said luckily he wasn't harmed but it was just a big scare. I'd imagine so. And this is a little bit of a short one today with this experiment, but post-experiment, you know, it's really, really crazy to me, is the fact that it wasn't just animal lovers who hated this experiment, who thought that this was just a crime against humanity. So the experiment, get this, was actually hated by bullfighting fans. Now, like I said at the beginning of this episode, is that the whole premise, the whole reasoning behind this experiment was, you know, to shed light maybe into the human psyche, to maybe stop violence. It wasn't a, a bullfighting thing. It was to stop the Holocaust, stop 
World War III from happening. You know, s stop more violence. But the bullfighting community, now this was a little bit harsh to me, but this is what they said. They accused him of, quote unquote, placing a bomb at the fundamental pillars of bullfighting, end quote, because they assumed that this remote control bowl would be the beginning to fighters wanting to cheat so they could get an extra edge on their sport. I'm not from Spain. I don't know like how deep of a cultural thing this is. I know that it is a deep cultural thing, but it just seems kind of dumb to me that this is the, the thing that they went with. It wasn't even anywhere near what the experiment was about. But as Delgado put it, because he quickly put this away and he says, okay, so one, he concluded, it's way too difficult. And two, you need many, many experts. This isn't a one person you go up and you go to a docile animal, stick, you know, cut them open, stick it in. You have to tranquilize them. You have to have people with you to make sure it's not getting up. You have to cut the animal, put the animal back together, not kill it with anesthesia. It's, it's a big process and it's not worth it. Then they also said it's going to be physically impossible to hide the implants. And the most important thing is the effectiveness varies from bowl to bowl. Like I stated with Kitano, his reaction was so calm compared to Lucero because Lucero would get angry immediately right after you would get off of the button. But Kitano, he was fine. He didn't even seem bothered. So no, <laughs> I don't think that bullfighters are going to be using this anytime soon because you're going to have... Oh yeah, you're going to have a fully bandaged bovine out on the field. I don't think they're going to do that. But let me wrap up the bull experiment by saying that later on, Dr. Delgado actually created a wireless human transcrania magnetic stimulator. And after that, uh, he did live in Spain for a little while. He came back to the States. He was born in Spain went to school at Yale. That's where he did a lot of his research on the monkeys and the cats. Went back to his home of Spain, did these experiments in the 60s, and then he went to San Diego where he got a teaching class and he died actually in 2011 at the age of 96. And I'm not stopping here because the experimentation that went on was actually not too far-fetched of an idea because is electroceuticals or electrical microstimulation is actually a modern treatment for things like Parkinson's and for cochlear implants for the deaf. So to continue with the episode, I really want to bring up some of the other animals that have also been controlled. Uh, there's been things from, like we said with the bulls, to pigeons, mice, beetles, even cockroaches, and sharks as well, little dogfish sharks. Now, one of the fun things about these animals is that they're also called bio-robots or robo-animals, and technically they're even cyborgs. So one of the animals I'm gonna bring up is dogs. Now I won't bring up 
the CIA funded dog research with the probes and with the mental stimulators. I won't bring that up because it was actually a really cool practice. And not that these other ones aren't, but it was it was very excessive. But just for numbers sake, dogs, since they're used in things like disaster relief, crime scenes, uh, even on the battlefield, they actually, when they're in work mode, these dogs will get away from their handler and they'll be too far away to hear anything. And that was the premise for the experimentation on these dogs. And turns out the overall success rate was 86.6%. Now, Chinese researchers, on the other hand, have actually found that you can implant uh, microelectrodes into a pigeon's brain. And the birds, when they're flying, you can actually remotely get them to go left or right or up or down. And now I'd like to get into one of the fun ones. One of the funnest animals on this, and I say this is in the most ironic way, is actually for sale for people to buy for their children. I'm not making this shit up. So it's actually called Robo Roach. And Robo Roach, this is not a sponsor by any means. We do not condone animal cruelty at absurd archives. But let me pull it up real quick and tell you about this product. So the Robo Roach is retailed currently at 10:17 p.m. January 3rd. The Robo Roach bundle is worth $159.99. It also says, please note, requires at least one cockroach. And I watched the video of it. It's it's actually gruesome. Like. I never thought I would be sticking up for cockroach rights, but it's just, it's macabre. Like it says in the product details, it weighs about 4.4 grams uh, with the battery. And the battery, and it says excitedly, will last over one month. And it says, following the brief surgery you perform on the cockroach to attach the silver electrodes to the antenna, you can attach the backpack to the roach and control its movement for a few minutes before the cockroach adapts. When you return the cockroach to its cage for 20 minutes, they quote unquote forget and the simulation works again. It also says after about two to seven days, the stimulation stops working altogether so you can clip the wires and retire your cockroach to your breeder colony. And so it can spend the rest of its days eating your lettuce and making more cockroaches for you. I'm sorry, that's absolutely vile. But barring that, uh, the last animal that I wanted to bring up is actually the spiny dogfish shark. The idea, the reasoning behind the using the sharks was actually similar to the John C. Lilly dolphin house experiment that I touched on in episode one, that sharks would be undetected by enemies and they could be good for military use. So when they tried putting these electrodes into the sharks, a lot of problems came up with it. Uh, they didn't even know what neurons they were actually stimulating. Some of the sharks took to it, other sharks didn't. And it's just, it, it was not good. It was not good. And <laughs> I understand what they were going with, but please leave our aquatic and aquatic mammalians out of this. Like, leave the fish in the, well, leave animals alone, really, but. Uh, don't expect sharks to help the military. That's... no. 
but taking a break from that and moving on to probably why you push the button on the episode we're going to move on to why turkeys aren't that bright or as I like saying the art of turkey seduction so this one because again you know I'll bring this up I'll say it time and time again the 60s were a wild place and I'm not sure why this experiment even happened but here we go so two doctors dr edward hale and dr martin shine of pennsylvania university actually wanted to find out what makes domestic turkeys interested in sex did they use live turkeys Mm, yes but only for the pen full of males what happened you wonder well the doctors grabbed a live pen full of males and they put in there a taxidermied female And you think, okay, that's weird, but, you know, maybe that's not too bad. Maybe it's just to recognize. No. The males started trying to mate and tried copulating with this deceased female. Now, to make things worse is these men slowly began to remove body parts one by one. And it started from the feet. It went to the wings the whole damn body the males didn't care if it was just a head lollipop they were still trying to mount it and they even tried with a fake replica of a female made out of balsa wood same exact same exact thing they would mate with it until it was just the neck and the head and they would still try mating it the body could be lying on the side they wouldn't touch the body as long as it was the neck and the head So they came to the conclusion that necrophilia is fine as long as the back of the head is showing because what they concluded was that's the only thing that's visible for them while they're mating. And, you know, I'm starting to really question question calling these weird experiments and just maybe changing the title to the 1960s experiments because I'm really starting to notice a trend here. Well, uh, there's my cue. Uh, It's the cue for my favorite time of the day. It's death of the day. Here is today's death of the day. Today's death of the day is hot air balloons. The first ever recorded death was in June of 1785 and considered the first aviation accident. In the U.S. every year, there's an average of 34 deaths and about 30 serious injuries and this is very much unlike World War II's Japan's failed Fugo balloons. So I'll do a quick little clip on that. Japan had 9,000 of these fired air balloons and about 10% of them reached the US and killed about six people. But speaking of military history with hot air balloons, they've actually been in warfare from Napoleon to the US Confederacy. Well. Look at how the time flew by. Next week's episode, we're actually going to take a small break from from weird experiments, and we're going to be diving into the origin of bubble wrap. I'm Laura CB, and this has been your dose of Absurd Archives. Thank you, everybody.